This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Keir Starmer sets out his vision for the Labour Party and the country in his conference closing speech in Brighton. So has he convinced the masses? I'm Jessica Elgott, Chief Political Correspondent of The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly. In a few short years from now, I want to be here with you talking about the difference we're making, the problems we're fixing as a Labour government. MPs, party members and activists gathered in Brighton this week to hear what direction the leader of the Labour Party is planning to take them. And at the same time, still the darling of the left, the former Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn flitted around fringe events rallying up some of his supporters, all the while denying he's anti-Starmer. Throw in a shadow cabinet minister's shock resignation and the proposal of a multi-billion pound green package and we have a lot to unpack. That's all in this week's Politics Weekly. Right, let's get straight to it. Keir Starmer's just left the stage. Um, People are starting to pack up for another year. I'm joined by The Guardian's deputy political editor, Rowena Mason. Rowena, it's the end of conference Have you enjoyed, is that the right word, enjoyed the last few days? It has been very nice to get back to a buzzing political atmosphere after the last 18 months where lots of party members, politicians uh, and the journalists that cover them haven't uh, haven't been able to see each other. So I think there is a a sort of mood of relief and delight at being able to have a bit of human contact uh, with other people. That's definitely, there's definitely been something um, uplifting about that in the atmosphere of this conference. Let's talk about the speech. Obviously, that is something that Keir Starmer really needed to be uplifting. I mean, it was a long speech, but, you know, a lot of standing ovations and some in quite unexpected places. Some some heckling, you know, quite a bit of heckling. But, you know, he needed this to be a big moment, didn't he? That's right. And I would say it was a solid enough speech. He did enough to get through this Um to present himself as a credible Labour leader, he seemed to have the mood of the hall with him. I have loved my first full conference as leader. I've really loved it. And the standing ovations were um, seemed to be genuine, um, including a slightly surprising one where everybody stood up and clapped the record of, of the 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 uh, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown governments, which is not something you would have seen under the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn. You did have this heckling going on, um, which is reflective of the fact that the party still is very 
divided between those on the left who still support Jeremy Corbyn's leadership and those who are um, in favour of what Keir Starmer is doing to draw a line under that. The hecklers, it wasn't like a, a very sort of coordinated, concerted effort by a lot of people. They were quite isolated voices calling out about things, including the £15 minimum wage, which Keir Starmer didn't support. It was quite obvious that Keir Starmer had prepped for this probability um, and he came back with some some slapdowns. At this time on a Wednesday, it's normally the Tories that are heckling me. It doesn't bother me then. <laughs> it doesn't bother me now. Effectively saying that um, it wasn't about slogans, it was about real practical action in government. He said at one point he was going to tell us what he stands for. Um, So what does he stand for? What what did he try and convey by that? I think he was trying to give the sense that Labour is now all about winning power. We will never, under my leadership, go into an election with a manifesto that is not a serious plan for government. And that he prioritises that over the unity of the party. So he's telling... He's telling his party members to get on board with the programme and start speaking to the country um, to, uh, to, win over, to win over voters who might have been tempted to vote for the Conservatives last time and that he was going to put all his efforts into convincing them that Labour was a party of security, uh, of working people. He mentioned the word work, working and worked dozens of times uh, and that he, he would stand up for them. That was, his, that was his core message. There was another very key point about fiscal responsibility. He was saying that um, he, he wanted lots of ambitious policies, but underlining that had to be about whether we could afford them and whether there would be value for money. In, on the kind of personal side of, of things running through the speech, he talked about, you know, the two things that drive him being family and work. And he kind of drew those things together with this whole theme about tools, his dad being a tool maker, what his tools are at the end, he said, to be a prime minister. And, you know, I suppose that's kind of trying to to, to root him in, in, you know, the valleys away from a suit. But he obviously talked about a lot about his career as a prosecutor what do you think he was trying to say about his personal values I mean it was all quite well drawn together that sort of returning to this theme of of hard work and he was trying to uh, he was trying to tell Labour that even though he does look quite professional suited and booted and he got to the top of his profession in the Crown Prosecution Service that he does come from this working class background it was it was quite effective there was also quite a good joke at that point as well my dad was a tool maker Although, in a way, so was Boris Johnson's. And the stuff about the Crown Prosecution Service was interesting as well because it felt that he was really going strong on the idea of security, that Labour would would provide a safe and secure place for people uh, to live and that and contrasting that against the kind of chaos and um, and failures to keep people safe in COVID and failures to to prevent things like shortages uh, that we've seen under Boris Johnson. And Labour has traditionally not been seen as, as strong on crime as the Conservatives have. But um, Starmer, with his background as a CPS prosecutor, was saying that Labour could be trusted to keep people safe and to deal with problems of crime. I won't stand for record levels of knife crime that we have in this country today. And I won't stand for nine out of ten crimes going unsolved. That, I thought, was a a really interesting shift of emphasis there. 
There was quite a moving moment, wasn't he, where he talked about um, the murder of Jane Clough when she had been the victim of domestic abuse and meeting her family, where he seemed to get quite emotional recalling it and they were in the audience. He's got he's got the benefit of being able to point to things in his past career that where he has been able to affect real change, hasn't he? You can't get emotionally involved in cases, they said. I replied, if I haven't got time to see the parents of a young woman who's just been murdered, then what am I doing in this job? That's right. And it was part of this this explanation as well of him not being a career politician. He was able to point to this long record of things he's actually achieved. He was introduced by uh, Doreen Lawrence, who is a Labour peer and the mother of murder teenager Stephen Lawrence. So it, it drew all these themes together very well. Let's talk about the, the kind of Tory attacks a bit. He did sort of use this moment to come out quite strongly. I think possibly people would have preferred him to spend more time talking about this. But he did talk about the fuel crisis. Level up, you can't even fill up. There's not a lot of detail there about what Labour's solution is to it, but does that does that matter at this point? It definitely matters that he gets out there and makes attacks on the Tories for all their all their failures on the grounds of competence. And um, what's happening with the fuel situation at the moment is an absolutely prime area where the party really needs to be. Um, landing a few punches and um, he did bring it up in the speech albeit quite briefly um, and he didn't really say what Labour would do instead and there has been a bit of frustration among shadow cabinet ministers um, right through to senior backbenchers as well saying the party should have been making more ground on this they should have been out there on the airwaves much earlier in the conference in, instead of talking about the rule changes which while important at the same time Starmer could have been out there on the attack a bit more. The key critique that he seemed to to make, and people around Starmer were trying to make this point, that Boris Johnson's a trivial politician. He's an unserious politician. I don't think Boris Johnson is a bad man. I think he's a trivial man. I think he's a showman. And it feels like the great unsaid thing there is he's trying to draw a bit of a comparison between himself and Angela Rayner, who will, you know, call the Tory scum. But he will just try and you know, dismiss Boris Johnson's capabilities. Do you think that's important as a dividing line? I think it's quite a clever way to go because it sounds like he's probably been listening to focus groups here. The type of voters that he wants to win over that might not think that Boris Johnson is a thoroughly bad man. They might be quite attracted to him and what he's done on Brexit and obviously many of them voted for him. So what Starmer's trying to say is he's incompetent and ineffective rather than, as Angela Rayner would say, scum. And the other sort of target for some criticism, and maybe in a kind of a veiled criticism, was the sort of previous Corbyn offer. And he did actually make it pretty explicit when he said it will never go into an election again with a manifesto that isn't, it's not a serious plan for government. I, I thought that got quite a surprising amount of, of applause in the hall when he said it. Mm. He doesn't mention Corbyn by name, and obviously that's going to upset a lot of people. But you know, that was that was going quite far, wasn't it? It was. And I think you're right. Um, it, he he did, fr- from the people who were there, it did seem to be, there did seem to be a lot of support for this idea that the party needs to draw a line under Jeremy Corbyn. That will have been pretty much the key aim of this entire conference from Keir Starmer's team's point of view was to just 
say we are doing things in a totally different way now. So what what is his serious plan for government? There is actually was quite a lot of policy in the speech, wasn't there? Mm. What's what what stood out for you? The announcement that we reported this morning in the Guardian about £1 billion pounds for mental health services and a promise that people would be seen within a month, which is seen as very important in the context of um, the mental health crisis engulfing, engulfing the country post-COVID. And stuff about education and how the curriculum will be changed to focus more on uh, things like careers. Um, there was a lot of meat in there, not not so much on the issue of taxes and how money would be raised, but he did come up with these three principles that um, that the burden of taxation would be shared fairly and it wouldn't fall purely on, on working people. Small businesses and large businesses would have the burden shared across them fairly and uh, that he would f- focus on value for money. So he did set a sort of framework, but there wasn't much detail on how uh, how some of his policies would be paid for. And there weren't very many massive uncosted spending commitments. So there was no, I mean, he criticised the Tories for a lack of a plan on social care, but there was no hint of how the party would solve that um, themselves. So it was a combination of interesting nuggets of policy, but no sort of absolutely major um, spending commitments. I suppose the exception to that actually is Rachel Reeves is um, £28 billion for climate uh, investment, but she, she's talking about investment there and, the, and is a slight sense that that's capital expenditure rather than kind of day-to-day expenditure. Mm. Lastly, obviously, Starmer's had difficulties this conference. You know, he's had to, had to have the first part dominated by talks of party splits and, and you know, turning inwards to do with these party rules that probably no one in the country really understands. He's had the resignation of his shadow employment secretary over the £15 minimum wage, you know, a kind of critique that I think they felt was sort of come out of the blue a bit. And, you know, the speech was disrupted more than I can ever recall, particularly even, you know, even during the Corbyn years, mm. that there wasn't that kind of um, kind of mass outbreak of anger in, in the room from people who didn't support Corbyn. But despite that, people seem reasonably pleased with how things gone. They seem to think that Kia has taken on these battles and, you know, roughly come out on top. He's probably had to sacrifice quite a lot of political capital within his own party. Is it... How will how will they see it? Do you think they come out of, of conference feeling they've achieved what they set out to do? I think Keir Starmer's team will be feeling quite relieved that they got through it without any um, any bigger upsets than this. I mean, at Andy McDonald's resignation for them was unfortunate, and the rule changes seemed really really important on the first day, and it was undoubtedly overshadowing conference and hampering their ability to take the government to task on the fuel crisis. But I don't think that that Starmer's team are going to be disappointed with how any of that went. I mean, there's a possibility that they will be annoyed by the heckling, but it could have gone a lot worse. And overall, it was, I would say, a solid performance. Um, If you're a viewer sitting at home in front of the news, you're probably not going to think that's absolutely transformational. You're probably not going to be completely gripped by what he had to say. But um, from from the leadership's point of view, it's part of this slow process of changing the party more into what they want it to be, which is a party that is more capable of winning power and winning back some of those swing seats that they lost at the last election. Right, Orina, it's, uh, it's time for us to get on a train, try and have a bit of a rest, and we'll get ready for Conservative Party Conference next week in Manchester. See you there. After the break... 
Peter Walker talks to us about Labour's big plans for saving Britain from the climate crisis. We'll be right back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Tomorrow is International Podcast Day, so I wanted to push you to our fantastic library of Guardian podcasts, covering everything from politics to culture and sport to science, plus what celebrities really eat behind closed doors. The Guardian's award-winning podcasts are conversations you'll want to listen in on. So head over to theguardian.com slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to listen now. Welcome back to Politics Weekly. I'm Jessica Elgott. Now... Aside from the impenetrable party rule changes, one key dividing line ahead of conference with the party's young activists was ambitions about tackling the climate crisis. Campaigners had accused Starmer of being unambitious and Starmer was heckled and chased by climate activists. But on Monday, Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves surprised some of her critics with a multi-billion pound package for tackling the crisis and pledged to be the UK's first Green Chancellor. She pledged that if they got into power, Labour would invest £28 billion a year until 2030. A huge figure. But even then, is it enough? The Guardian's Peter Walker has been getting some reaction from those who watched the speech, so I caught up with him earlier to get his thoughts on the proposed new initiative. Peter, we've managed to, to find a quiet space in the conference hall, which is amazingly Amazing. <laughs> um, Reeves and Starmer were under pressure from a lot of people in the party to announce something big on climate change, weren't they? I mean, Starmer was literally chased down the street by climate activists earlier in the week. This has been the big thing, this idea of a Green New Deal. I mean, it's something that was associated with the kind of what was the Corbynite wing of the party. But now there's this very, very distinct grouping, which is kind of more on the left who want this Green New Deal. A lot of it is about the environmental stuff, but it goes slightly kind of wider than that. But they've been under enormous pressure. And there is actually this kind of Labour for a Green New Deal group who've been pushing Starmer on this for a long, long time. And basically, if something like this hadn't come through to the conference, then there would have been a bit of trouble, I would have thought. Let's go through what the that's what the 28 billion actually means. It's 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 essentially quadrupling the government's current capital investment pledge. More than half the current defence budget, about a quarter of what you know we'd spend on the NHS. What does it cover? What does what does that, that all actually go on? It's been slightly vague as to what it's going to be spent on. It's going to be spent on kind of broadly environmental stuff. But um, I managed to catch up with Rachel Reeves in a cafe uh, on uh, Tuesday, um, and we put that to her. We asked her what it is actually going to be spent on. 
whether that is in the hydrogen industry, in offshore wind, and actually building the wind turbines in this country rather than importing them from overseas, carbon capture and storage, building flood defences and flood damage costs this country more than a billion pounds a year. So uh, building those flood defences, planting uh, trees, retrofitting homes, a huge amount that needs to be done. But it's a big chunk of money and you can be sure that you know every shadow minister listening to that will be thinking, well, I wouldn't mind four, five or six billion pounds of, uh, pounds of that every year. Another important question, Peter, one that Labour always gets asked, where's the money coming from? Where are they going to raise it from? They're quite open that they're going to, uh, going to borrow the money. But this is something which is seen as borrowing to invest in very, very necessary things. So that's not necessarily a problem. I mean, you know, Labour has said they're not going to borrow for kind of day-to-day spending. But borrow for um, investment on this scale is is seen as, uh, you know, something that they, that they can and should do. And, you know, the warnings from all sorts of people is that, particularly the Office for Budget Responsibility, is that if you don't start spending on this stuff now is going to cost more in the future. So the idea that borrowing to do this is actually a fiscally responsible thing to do. What about the people think of the new plan and and whether it goes far enough? I mean, it depends who you uh, ask. I mean, most people are welcoming the broad fact that Labour is going to be committing to spend a lot more on green things. Sam Alvis from the independent think tank Green uh, Alliance, um, who worked quite a lot with Labour on this, seemed to think it was a really, really good thing. So this is a significant step up from what we have at the government at the moment. So we have, on estimate, the Committee for Climate Change think £5 billion a year coming from government. This is going up to £28 billion Labour's offer. What we really need to see now is Sunak entering that race to be the UK's first Green Chancellor and trying to match that at the spending review at the end of October. And how about the people who chased Starmer at the weekend, Green New Deal rising, the kind of young activists? Do you, do you think they're happy with it? They're kind of happy with some of the basics, particularly the fact that Labour is committing to spending a lot more on it. But, you know, they want to see other things done too. So I spoke to uh, Hannah Martin from Green New Deal Rising, and she said that she still had a few kind of caveats and worries. Peter, what does Reeves have to say about the criticism that the deal is good, but it's not ambitious enough, potentially not socially transformative enough? I think there is some frustration amongst people around Reeves and Reeves too, that people who back this, quote, Green New Deal always want something kind of bigger. I don't think anything like this has ever been tried in Britain before. Uh, This goes uh, far beyond uh, what anyone has committed before. This is £28 billion additional investment in those green industries. And they insist it will, you know, if implemented, it will transform the country. Turning to the other side of the equation, the Conservative Party, um, they've been sending out kind of a lot of responses to stuff Labour's been doing. There hasn't been really a, a, a kind of big pushback on this. It's quite clever in a way because it's quite a tricky thing for them to attack even though they would usually love to attack Labour on spending especially big spending especially on borrowing but on this subject it's not easy. It's a tricky one because I think a lot of voters do recognise that the climate emergency is very very real and I think this idea that if you don't spend now, you'll end up spending more in you know, a certain number of years. It's also quite a resonant one. So to attack people for this kind of spending is quite tricky for the Conservatives because they're not committing anywhere near this kind of sum. So I think they'd almost quite happily not draw attention to it. This is obviously intended to be like one of the big headline-grabbing policies from the conference. How much do you think it cuts through to the public? How, how, you know, is this a, a vote-winning policy? I think it's very, very hard to say, partly because the Labour conference has been held amidst this wider context of the fuel crisis, and a lot of people are simply not paying attention. So, you know, as with all opposition parties, the the issue is partly how good the policy is, but also partly just getting people to notice it. 
And that's all from us this week. Make sure to listen to Politics Weekly Extra on Friday as Jonathan Friedland and Richard Wolff discuss the latest revelations about Donald Trump. But for now, I want to thank our guests, Rowena Mason, Peter Walker, Rachel Reeves, Hannah Martin and Sam Alvis. The producer this week was Danielle Stevens. I'm Jessica Elgott, signing off from Brighton. See you in Manchester next week. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.